At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana, the podcast for the 99% of people who get healthcare in America. We're not clinicians or policymakers. We're patients and caregivers, executives and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. This podcast brings listeners backstage at innovative organizations across America that are putting patients first by delivering exceptional care to anyone and everyone. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. Today, we are talking to Dr. Diana Gurnita, MD, PhD, founder and CEO of Rheumatologist on Call. Now, this, this is uh, a very exciting conversation. I know I say that a lot, but when we get to talk to specialists who are doing a pure direct care model, I get pumped up about it. And I hope you do too, because this is really the next frontier of where we take the entire direct care movement. This is, this is the next evolution of the direct care community focus in primary care, but everybody knows we need excellent specialists like Dr. Ganita on board to really take us into what our vision is of creating that alternate healthcare system, every single man, woman, and child in America. So Dr. Ganita, thank you for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. I'm honored and very delighted to be here. Now, I built it up, you know, in that introduction of you are somebody who is really a game changer. You are looking at what is a lot of frustration for a lot of specialists in the United States and saying, you know what, I'm going to go and figure this out. I don't have that nice little membership that primary care does, but you know, darn it, I'm going to get it out there. I'm going to make a model that works and is fair for patients that can now focus on those patients. How did you come about this? So first of all, this idea I had in my mind for a couple of years before I started I've seen what um, the healthcare in the United States became. And remember, I came here to be trained. And I came here because I thought the healthcare in the United States is second to none in, in the world. And when I saw what's happening with my patients and with the lack of access and the lack of transparency, I decided that it is time to change that. I do care about my patients and I put my patients first. And when I stepped out from the traditional system, I did not know how to figure out things, but I was lucky to know about the direct primary care movement from a very good friend of mine, Dr. Lou Flaspoller, who years before introduced me to this movement. And I thought that if a primary care physician can do and can offer direct care to, to patients, why not specialists can do that? So I started from that idea and um, I had no other um, connections or I had no other thoughts about how this is going to play out. So coming over from Eastern Europe, what, what really, you know, kind of, kind of set you off saying, okay, this is going to be better home for me 
kind of compare and contrast the two models that you saw over there versus what you see today here in the United States uh, before your direct care kind of baptism, I will call it. I will say, so I will probably relate to many people that come from uh, Eastern Europe that um, they have seen a socialist system in a healthcare model uh, where the government was fully involved in, uh, you know, I wouldn't say providing care, but providing uh, the, the infrastructure for the healthcare and uh, the specialists and the physicians and nurses struggling to figure out how to do things for patients. In Romania, like probably in many other countries, the private system started to develop. And for the last 20, 30 years, it's still developing. But there, if you need something, you're going to get it and you're going to have access uh, for a price. You're going to have access. And that access is, um, is paired by transparency in prices. So when you enter the door, you're going to see prices for everything from, you know, lab work to the price of the consultation to uh, imaging studies. So you will have an idea what you need to pay for your medical care, which doesn't happen in our traditional uh, system where, uh, where you get in and um, you want to have access, but there is not much that they can offer because there are uh, there is no access to lab work. There is not access to imaging or there is not access to medication. So physicians, although they have the knowledge, they cannot provide the care that they want in the, in the public sector. Yeah. And so the, you're talking and referencing more of the fee-for-service type of model, the insurance-based model here in the States. And obviously, my opinions are, are pretty well documented for anybody who's listened to, to this show of if you're a physician or advanced practicing provider, NPs, PAs, and a patient asks you what the price is and you aren't able to quote them, you're contributing to the problem. And so when you found out about direct care and you're like, you know what, I'm going to become a trailblazer here. Was that scary to set out in that first step saying, I'm going to go do it no matter what? I thought it was a little bit of uh, adventure, I would say it. I knew about the fact that you can negotiate prices, but I didn't know how to get there. So that was a struggle to find the right people, to connect to the right people, to open the doors. So I had no idea that you guy exists. <laughs> and I had no idea that people know the way to get there. But I opened the door after I met hundreds of people. I was asking right and left until I was able to find it. And uh, it was shocking to me because the prices that you find sometimes on online for certain uh, uh, blood work, for example, are uh, so different from the prices that you can get as a direct contractor to laboratory services. And at that point, I realized that that could be translated into the same model for imaging studies, and it could be translated into the same model for accessing medication. I had patients that were buying medication from Canada without being informed that here they can buy medication for a cash price. So when I started to realize that, at that point, I said, this is the way to go. You have to find the resources and then show it to the patients, show it that it is possible to have a service to an affordable price and very transparent. The transparency is 
That's the name of the game, right? That's how, you know, you mentioned in, in your example and comparing and contrasting healthcare in the United States versus that of Eastern Europe. And you said, look, even in, in a socialist um, kind of a, a system, they're still able to have transparent prices and you list it if that's, if you want to go the private pay option. Here in the US, they, they try to hide that as much as possible. They won't even post it for you in, in many cases. So, you know, when, when you said, all right, I need to go do this as a rheumatologist, Give us a little bit of insight into how you built your economic model. For instance, I tell primary care doctors that we work with at Freedom HealthWorks all the time that, hey, for the first time in a lot of people's careers, specialists are now jealous of what the primary care doctors are doing, right? Usually it's the other way around, whether it's in medical school and someone says, oh, don't go into primary care. You got to make more money in specialty care. I mean, you know, those are real conversations happening, but now as specialists looking in and what primary care physicians are able to do with their membership and the recurring revenue, you know, that's something pretty special. So how did you go out and research and build your economic model? So it's still an ongoing process, I will say so, but I started with transparency, with a fee for service, and I tried to incorporate later on the, in the price of the consultation, the price of the labs for some, some diseases. As you probably know, in rheumatology, the access is very limited because there are not many of us. The waiting time is between four and six months for patients. And that is frustrating for many of these patients that are diagnosed or potentially diagnosed with an autoimmune disease or they are in severe pain. It's, it's a long time to wait. And uh, to have access, it's extremely important. But to have access to a transparent price, it's even easier for patients to digest. And when I opened my clinic, I had numerous discussions with numerous people to figure out a price that will be, I would say, reasonable for my time. And then after I started to uh, build up my practice and get patients, some of the patients, they just need to see me once or twice. So for those patients, there is no need to be in a membership model. But some patients that they have rheumatoid arthritis or psoriatic arthritis or lupus, they will need uh, constant care. You know, most of the time they need at least four appointments, four follow-up appointments per year, and they need blood work to monitor their medications. For those patients, I offer them a membership model where I take care of everything that they need and they have access to me when they need me. How do you convince somebody or talk to somebody who walks in saying, hey, I just want the one visit and you say, well, actually it's going to be better off if you get this membership because this, this, and this. I think patients need to be educating and you need to give them time to realize the difference. First, they don't know the difference. Um, you know, when they go to the to our traditional system in US, the most that they spend with a physician in their first appointment, it's about 10. And if they're lucky, 15 minutes. And when they come back for follow-ups, it's between five and seven minutes. And in this time, you have to address everything. You have to make a plan. First, the patient has to tell you the story. And then you as a physician has to make the plan and move them over. And um, you don't have enough time with them. When they realize that, you know, they have a longer period of time with you, that you address all their questions, that you address all their concerns, that you make the effort to educate them. And then you lay out the plan 
um, they realized the difference. And uh, I had patients that they said, no, I'm going to pay with my insurance or I'm going to go to the traditional system. But after one or two visits, they came back to me. And at that point, you reopen the discussion. I I never push patients. I just want them to realize the benefit. And um, I do explain to them what is the benefit, what is the difference, but ultimately is their decision based on their experience with with the traditional system. We like to call those the boomerang patients, the ones that (laughs) they say, oh, okay, I'm only going to hear it one time or, oh, it's it's not worth it or I can't afford it. And then they you send them out and they go and they can't find anything, find anything, nothing. Nobody's going to see them all of a sudden, boom, they're right back here saying, you know what? For the first time in my life, I actually went out and researched my options here. And wow, your operation is looking better and better every single day. The more and more I learn, the more and more this makes sense. So it, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows and you're still in the growth mode. What were some of the challenges that you met with early on? First, it was figuring out the price for the consultation. Um, That was really hard. Uh, Second, I think making these contracts with the laboratory uh, services. And because I provide the service in multiple states, there are not many laboratories very willing to give you a national account. So that was hard. Um, And then finding imaging resources across the states. That was also hard, but I was lucky to meet uh, Dr. Christine Dickerson and she helped me out. And um, I think the challenge remains to educate other physicians and specialists like me that they can do it. And for me, uh, the challenge remains to educate patients. Mm-hmm. It's still a, a process that, because patients here are so used with the idea and that insurance will cover their visits. They're so used with the idea that insurers will protect them until they find otherwise. Yeah. And let me, let me, let me cut in right there and, and just kind of tweak what you said about insurance. It's not that they're going to protect them. They believe that their insurance company has their best medical interests in mind. And that is terrifying to think that, oh, this public company out there, they're going to take care of me. And you're like, well, as you dig a little deeper, that might not necessarily be the case. You know, those are the people second guessing your doctor's orders, your prescriptions, any type of imaging or anything like that's out of the office, you know, these pre-authorizations. Just think about that concept of, does this insurance company really have my best interest in mind as a patient? Agreed. And there are also patients that they think they can order a steak and a bottle of wine for everything, which is not needed. So um, I had patients that they were asking me to order tests that were not necessary. And I had to go through every single one and explain to them the benefit of ordering unnecessary tests and the benefit of um, having a wise approach. I mean, um, choose wisely. It's extremely important because once you order tests without having anything in your mind and something comes back positive, then you go down the the road and you're going to order more and more tests. And some of them could be invasive and actually could put patients at risk. And I Mm -hmm. see that happening all the time. I see people that they don't have um, the knowledge that I will have, but they order autoimmune tests. And then the patients of course, they get very stressed when they see a positive NA or uh, something abnormal or an elevated uh, sedimentation rate, which are tests that are so general. 
But if you don't choose them wisely, you throw the patient into a workup and, you know, it's going to increase their, their, their price uh, for, for the care tremendously without any need. So on a patient like that, their feedback saying, wow, you actually saved me a lot of money or no, I Googled this and this is what, this is what it said I needed. So I want this. I have both, but I do <laughs> tell them, I do tell them that Dr. Google is not a physician and it doesn't have a medical degree. And <laughs> yes, um, I actually wrote a, a small blog about that. Because I feel that more and more patients, they believe in Dr. Google more than they believe in physicians. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, our profession is a little bit of a risk because um, for many years, we were blamed for the uh, things that are happening in the United States healthcare. People believe that because of us, you know, because of us physicians and because of pharmaceutical companies too, the prices of their healthcare insurances are increasing. That, that's the majority of them, what they think. And I do explain to them that if you look at the both sides of this spectrum, physicians help you on one side. And yes, some pharmaceutical companies, they help you on the other side. And whatever it's in between is probably what is increasing the cost. And when you tell them that, patients do think about it. Because they just take that, whatever they took that information, I don't know, but it's kind of perpetuating and moving from, you know, generation to generation. And this is not true. It's always an interesting conversation. We talk to people about pharmaceuticals in the United States, because on one hand, you know, we're really the only country out there developing brand new drugs. It's an immense amount of cost. And to play devil's advocate on that side, it's why is the same drug in the United States cost so much more as it does? overseas. And so you find yourself like, well, I'm kind of in defense of it, but yet I'm still asking a lot of questions I haven't gotten a lot of answers to. But I think your explanation does show that doctors and even the you know, pharmaceutical companies when, you know, in the best case possible, are here to help alleviate a lot of conditions. There's a lot of what we can do as patients ourselves, like go get exercise, eat well, sleep, <laughs> try to find I the agree. stressors in your life, right? Like the little things like that, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, be a good person, live healthy that whole thing. But you touched upon you know, pricing, and that was one of the things you mentioned was one of your biggest challenges to figure out about your practice. What was that process like when you first kicked it off? It was difficult because there is not much of a reference point for any of the specialties. We look at Medicare prices, which are not usually very fair for specialty care. And when I look at you know, the time that I had to invest for every single patient is not only the time of the consultation. It's usually much more than that. When I have a consultation of one hour with a patient, I usually spend at least half an hour to another hour to coordinate the care. And many times I spend probably another hour for those complicated patients that they have a lot of medical records to review that. So when you put everything together, um, it's hard to, to figure out the price. So I took uh, the Medicare price and I increased it um, a little bit more, thinking that that's going to give patients access. And that was the thing. And it's going to make it affordable. But again, I don't know if it's a right or wrong system. Many people are saying that you have to look at, about how much you spend and then how much salary you want to um, uh, get. 
And again, I think that's that's different for every single one because we all have different expectations. And uh, I just wanted to start a model and develop it. You know, my goal was not my salary, what will be my salary in a year. My goal when I started was to provide this kind of transparency and access to, to patients that were, you know, delayed in, in care. And many patients do delay their care intentionally because they are afraid of the cost, especially when it comes to rheumatology or specialty care, because my specialty is coated as a very expensive specialty. When you talk about tests or when we talk about uh, medication. Yeah. Pricing theory is one of those things that it, it confuses and, and challenges a lot of business owners. You know, do you do like a value-based that I'm providing this amount of value that somebody can't go out and get without me? Or do you provide cost plus? You know, what, what, what are you going to do? Um, how are you going to, how are you going to, I guess, kind of skin the cat uh, to use an old saying there, but there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I applaud your approach on saying, look, you know, my prices today might not be viable in six months, might not be viable in a year. And we're going to work with people and say, look, this is going to be the price and this is why it's going up. Or this is actually why I can lower my prices because the cost to provide these services have gone down for whatever reason that is. And so that's just one of those little things that people really don't think about when they get into business for themselves. Because why would you? If you're a physician at a hospital and you're a specialist, you're usually making good money. You're saying, well, what do I care here? But you know, go back to what I said in the beginning. If you don't know the price of the services you're providing, you're part of the problem. You got to get out of the way. Once again, we're talking to Dr. Diana Granita, founder and CEO of Rheumatologist on Call. Dr. Granita, I, I want to switch into more of the macro specialist discussion. Like we, we hinted about you know, uh, a few minutes ago, there are a ton of specialists who, in my opinion, are sitting on the sidelines saying, I want to do that. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how that fits into my specialty. I will freely admit that Again, the primary care model, the membership model might not be the best for each specialty. Um, what do you say to those folks that call you up and say, hey, Dr. Ganita, I want to I pick your brain on this. I am a neurologist. I am an endocrinologist. Insert specialty here. What do you recommend I do and how do I build my practice? So actually, um, that happened already. Um, in about six months after I start, I started to get a lot of phone calls from a lot of specialists that were interested to see what I'm doing, how I'm doing things, and how was I able to access, um, you know, this kind of a model, and how do patients find me, and where, what is my referral system? So I had tons of questions from multiple people, and I thought about that um, a lot, and I said to myself, I think it's time to help others, and Every single time I was spending probably an hour, an hour and a half with each of them to explain how I started and um, what can be done. And the fact that it can be done, because that's the fear of most specialists, that they cannot make it. They don't have a referral system behind them. They don't uh, know primary care. Once you are out of the big system, you are kind of considered a paria. You know, it's, it's so sad, but this is... Um, you feel alone for a while. And then you start to connect to others that are doing the same thing. And when I found a few other people that are doing the same thing, I realized the need of, um, of creating a group 
And I started with a group on Facebook. And today uh, on that group of Facebook, there are about 250 people, specialists, all physicians, all specialists. And um, many of them, they are just trying to figure out a way to step out of the traditional system. And I would say about 10% of them, they are doing some sort of direct care models, and they are trying to figure out a way to, uh, to evolve into this space. And then I took this movement forward and I said, okay, Facebook might um, close us at any moment, uh, could wipe out everything that we are talking. We are talking the right uh, things. They will let us be there. We are you know, talking the wrong things. They will uh, make us disappear. So I decided to start a nonprofit organization called uh, Direct Specialty Care Alliance, which is now, um, you know, uh, available. And um, the purpose was that to lead the movement of specialists uh, to become independent and also provide this kind of direct care. Um, the, the purpose will be to be um, like the direct care specialist, the direct primary care um, uh, physicians to provide some sort of mentorship, to provide advocacy for us and to move this uh, into the next level. So there I am. And um, I have other people that are helping me. So I'm not alone. Um, I had uh, Blue Flaspolar. I had Lara uh, Brisney. Um, I had other specialists that they, they are willing to help and share with the world, with other specialists, what we have done. And um, I also created a free course where I provided all the information that I had and I invited people that helped me along the way to provide information to these people that are interested. So the movement is going to grow. It's just a matter of time. And um, I hope that uh, people realize that it can be done. I love that you're, you're that beacon and, and you're attracting these people saying, you know, how do I do this? Is there a specialty that, in your opinion, you have a hard time seeing working with a cash pay or direct care model? Um, I don't see a specialty that cannot work, you know, at least partially they can work with a direct care model. Um, a lot of the surgery specialty, they can do that. Uh, maybe at this point, interventional cardiology might not have uh, a big attraction. Uh, the you know vascular surgeons that they need much more, but in in medical specialties, I think cardiology is very well uh, suited for a direct care model. Endocrinology can do that um, very well, and I actually know a few people that are very successful doing endocrinology. Rheumatology can be very well suited to that because we have a lot of chronic diseases. These are our patients for life. What else? You, you can tell me. Psychiatry, they do that. You know, they are one step ahead of us, uh, of all the other medical specialties. They, they can provide this kind of care very successfully. Right. I think people, when they, when they think about insurance and needing insurance, and they say, well, what happens if I get really sick? What happens if I get cancer? And, you know, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm personally not aware of any oncologists out there, but I'm like, well, I think these kinds of things would work it's going to be tough to kind of get that volume where we are right now. Cause I think you, you and I agree that we are still very, very early in this, right? We're, we're building it. We understand that a lot of things have to come together. And um, as we start at freedom health, so we start to branch out of primary care, 
more into specialty care and connect all those people, it's really impressive to see what we can really build when everybody's moving in the same direction. So I, there's always people saying, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And so, you know, I, I love your confidence that says, you know what? Every single specialty out there can build this model. It's going to take a little bit of legwork and a little bit of research, but there is something there for every physician out there who really wants to exit the system and go back to being a doctor again and caring for people. I think that's very important to do what you were trained to do instead of typing, billing, coding, making sure that you put all the unnecessary information in your notes and not concentrated about the person in front of you. I think once you lose that, um, it, it's becoming very difficult for, for people to understand that you can do otherwise. Um, it was very hard for me uh, when I started um, this process, but I think the more I go into this, the more I realize that that's the best decision that I made. And it's, it's extremely hard for people that they graduate from medical school here. They have a huge debt. Uh, they are so attracted to the big hospitals to get a salary. And then they get stuck there because, you know, by the time that you finish your residency, you are at that point in your life that you want to build up a family, buy a house, buy a car, have, um, you know, a respected life, I would say, because you deserve that. And um, at that point to uh, drop everything and to start on, on a new pathway with all the depth behind you, that's very frustrating. And then the big hospitals and the big systems are very, very careful to tell you that you cannot do that without them. You cannot exist without them. You don't know how to do business. You don't know how to, to, to attract patients. You don't know how to market yourself. And we are very shy as physicians. You know, we are afraid to ask you know, the price for the consultation. We think that we have to give and we do give, but we, we are so shy to ask for what we deserve. I think it's a sentiment that's going to be echoed, you know, across the nation there. I always go back to this little saying that we use a lot, that there is no insurance billing code for actually curing somebody. And I think that's a very powerful statement that the only way that a physician is able to make the living that you deserve and provide really great, true patient care where you can actually fix people treat people into and treat treat them not just to maintain a condition or maintain or manage a condition but let's look at actually overcoming these diseases together and yes absolutely our doctors deserve to make a great salary or a great wage or have a successful business because they really are some of the smartest and, and brightest and, and most motivated people in our community. So, you know, my hat's off once again to you and what you're, what you're building there. If anybody listening wants to learn more about the organization you created, the uh, Direct Specialty Care Alliance, what's the best way to go about doing that? We just put together a website. It's called dscalliance.org. I can share that with you and you can uh, post it there. And um, we're going to start um, uh, telling people about this because it was very hard. We had many discussions among us ourselves, what we need to do, what we need to share with the world, what's our mission, uh, what's our vision. 
And as you said, many specialists from different specialties, they have different opinions about uh, what they think they can provide. But I think there is a unifying idea behind it. We do want to have autonomy. You know, we do want to exist independently. Uh, We are accountable to our patients. That's where we want our accountability to go. We want transparency in prices, and we want our patients to have access to us. I think those are the things that I've um, noticed across the board on the discussions that I had with multiple specialists across this country. Dr. Diana Granita, founder and CEO of Rheumatologist On Call. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Once again, thanks for joining us on Healthcare Americana. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. And I wish you the best of luck with what you do. I appreciate that. Once again, I'm Christopher Habig, CEO, co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. The new administration has big plans for your health insurance, changes that can limit your choices. The Affordable Care Act created a one-size-fits-all plan. Healthcare is not a one-size-fits-all problem. The premise of the ACA is that coverage equals care. It does not. This is Eric Wilson from ISOLF Incorporated, and I recently saved a family in their 50s almost $600 per month with our free market plan. Act now. Protect yourself with a plan that cannot be canceled. This is a nationwide PPO plan, which allows you to pick your doctors and hospitals. Start saving 30 to 60% today. If you are self-employed, purchase your own health insurance, or are uninsured, you can lock in a private plan managed by you, not the government. Call me, Eric Wilson, an expert with 17 years experience at 888-448-5370. That's 888-448-5370. Or go to iSellHealth.com. That's iSellHealth.com a free market, affordable approach to healthcare. I look forward to speaking with you. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.